Okay, good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to our Living with Emuna. So grateful that you are here. And I'm happy we decided to uh, have Shir, even if at a different hour. Next week, for those in person and watching live, we are back to 8.45 a.m., same place, both offline and online, but uh, back to 8.45. I want to thank our generous sponsors for the uh, Living with Emuna Shir series for the year, Drs. Avi and Bella Morgan, who uh, very appropriately sponsored in memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Gabbett, Baruch Tzvi, whose uh, grandson was just named in the other room, Baruch Tzvi. So it's a really a very special, special morning to have a shear in his memory as there is a new Baruch Tzvi Galbit walking around. And uh, if he is a fraction of who his grandfather was, he will transform the world and better everyone who knows him. So uh, we give him a big bracha. He should be zocha to grow up to Torah, chupa and ma'asim tovim. They also sponsored a memory of Bella's mother, Dr. Ellen Shanzer, who was a uh, personification of Amuna. And we're, of course, deeply grateful to them. Okay, we are continuing what we began last week, this new Sefer with the teachings of Shlomo Volba called Ha'aros, different uh, teachings of his. You have in front of you the source sheets. You see there's an advantage. Not only do you get a hot cup of Dunkin' Donuts coffee and a bottle of water with a brand, what does it say? BRS, keeping you spiritually hydrated. Nice. And a granola bar but you also get these source sheets in front of you. So we made it through Oz Gimel last week. We pick up with Dalad. And what we began with last week, Ravoba was telling us someone, an educator, had written him a letter. And the educator wanted to know, how do I solve this issue that when the teacher walks out of the room, the children stop davening? The children are only davening out of a sense of a fear when they're being supervised. And as soon as the Mora, the Rebbe, the teacher walks out of the room, the kids close the sitter, they close their mouths, they stop davening. And Revolba's answer, which is so powerful, not only vis-a-vis -vis children, but also very, very powerful in terms of uh, introspection and self-awareness with ourselves, is that the issue is not the davening. The davening is a symptom. The issue is not the words. Of course, we need to work on understanding them, comprehending them, translating them. But the issue is not the davening. The issue is the person on the other end of the line. Nobody's going to talk into a telephone if they don't believe anyone's on the other end. Nobody. You remember when you used to talk on a telephone? Today, you prefer to text. You do everything we can. Now we have voice notes. Voice notes are one of the great inventions. Basically, how can I get what I want across to you without actually having to talk to you? I could just record a, I could just record a voice note. But we used to talk on the telephone. So when we spoke on the telephone, when we heard either breathing or preferably someone speaking on the other end, we knew that we were not banging our head against the wall. We weren't wasting our time. There was someone listening to what we had to say. But imagine that we picked up the telephone and we heard nothing. You just had to have confidence and faith there's someone there on the other end. They won't respond, they won't acknowledge, they won't grunt, they won't breathe, they won't make a sound. Nobody answered the phone and said, hold on, I'm putting you on speaker, I'm here and they can hear you. Nothing. Imagine you pick up a phone and dial and you're told to just speak. How many days in a row could you do that? How many times a day could you do that without believing there's anyone on the other end? So we're telling children, pick up a telephone, call the sitter and speak. By the way, do it in a language that you don't understand and do it for a length of time which you don't sit to concentrate for anything that doesn't involve a keyboard and a screen, and do it three times a day and do it every day. And is it a wonder, it is a shock that not only do children struggle, but we struggle. We struggle. So Revolba's point was that the problem with davening is not the sitter or the words of the comprehension. The problem with davening is, do we really believe there's someone on the other end? Is there someone who's listening? Are we in a relationship? Can we confide and unburden ourselves? Can we, can we let Hashem in and make ourselves vulnerable in ways maybe we don't with anyone else on the planet? Can we humble ourselves to ask for help? Can we express our gratitude? 
do we really believe there's someone on the on the other end? Moshe Weinberger, who Baruch Hashem, we just locked in a date January, will be coming to Boca for another incredible evening with music and uh, <coughs> big fabreng and a big uh, hilula tish. So he tells the story often. We've uh, repeated it in his name. I think he said he once got it from one of his daughters from a Reader's Digest, in case you wonder where rabbis get their material. Is Reader's Digest still put out? Does that still come out? So that was before the internet. Once they have Google, Reader's Digest, you don't need it. But before Google, that was a rabbi's you know, go-to the Reader's Digest. So there's the story, I've told it a million times, you'll excuse me if you've heard it, about the great poetry contest and all these brilliant poets and uh, people who read poetry dramatically enter the contest and the big day arrives and the last minute a man comes and he says, I want to enter, it's too late, but they pity him, so they let him in. And what will you be reading? And he says, Psalm 23, Tehillim Chav Gimel. Someone else already in the contest is reading it, but you know what, they pity him, he's an older man, there's no chance he's going to win, fine, you can, you can participate. And each of them stand up there and on the podium and in front of the microphone and dramatically recite the poem of their choice, moving the audience and trying to appeal to the judges for victory. And finally, the last entry, this older man comes in and he begins, Psalm 23, Mizmo David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. And he very beautifully and powerfully and personally recites Tehillim Chav Gimel, Psalm 23. The judges convene, they confer, and uh, they come back, and of course it was the winner, this older man. And all the other contestants can't understand it. They had practiced, they had rehearsed. Some of it was original poetry. Someone else read the exact same paragraph. They read Tehillim Chav Gimel, Psalm 23. So they came to the man, they said, how did you pull that off? I don't understand. And his answer, listen to this, because this is the core of it all, and this is what Revolb is saying. The man turned to him and he said, you read a poem about a shepherd. I know the shepherd. I have a relationship with the shepherd. I feel the shepherd in my life every day. I'm one of his sheep. When you read a poem about a shepherd, you're reading about an abstract, conceptual distance. You're reading a theoretical poem about a theoretical shepherd. When I read it, I'm a sheep reading a poem about my shepherd. And that's the issue, that's at the core, is the amuna and the bitachon. The davening will flow, the behavior, the brachos, the life, but we don't spend enough time. Our educational system, with no criticism to anyone who's in it or running it, they're doing an extraordinary job, but the whole system doesn't allow for the room to discuss and to emphasize these things. And we also have another cyclical problem, which is that our educators, myself included, didn't grow up learning and hearing it, so we're not necessarily in the position to communicate it or feel inadequate or unworthy or incapable in doing it. But every conversation, Every Chumash class should be a lesson of emuna. What from this story? How does it connect us to Hashem? Every story of Tanakh, where was Hashem in that story? How is he in our life? Every daf of Gemara, this is Hashem's world. Why does he envision that that should be the halacha when my ox scores your ox and this is the liability because that's Hashem's blueprint for his world and for creation. Every single class at every single school should end with, and this is the lesson for our relationship with Hashem, to reinforce and to come back and to instill. And our teachers are doing a wonderful job. They're doing the best that they can. This isn't the system as it stands now. We have to complement it in our own homes, to talk about in every way we can, in every experience we have, how grateful, how blessed. Point out, isn't it amazing we got that parking spot? Isn't it amazing the flight left on time and landed early and there was no traffic and it made it to the end of the bris and I can't believe it all happened. I just came back early this morning. Morning. I can't believe that it all happened. What a, what a miracle to pause and to say thank you and to do it in front of our children so they know and they see. And that's what we said. David HaMelech thought of a great idea. David HaMelech said we need to revamp the educational system. So he created a curriculum. Curriculum is made up of a hundred parts a day, a hundred pieces of homework a day. 
Now, I'm not a fan. I wasn't then, and I'm not now of homework. I do a lot of learning in school and play after school. But David HaMelech sends us home with a hundred pieces of homework a day. Those hundred pieces of homework are called Mea Brachos Bechol Yom. In his time, he did it to stop a pandemic. There was a plague. It was wiping out the Jewish people. And he said, you know what? Maybe the lesson should come through loud and clear. Maybe we are distanced from one another because we've been distanced from Hashem. Maybe we have to be uh, quarantining or separating or living under the, under the cloud of concern of what will be and what won't be. And I just saw a headline from Eretz Yisrael today that the, uh, I don't know who a czar or guru, who anyone is anymore because we don't know what that even means anymore. But whoever the expert is in Israel said, the Delta variant is over in Israel. There should be a six month reprieve until the next variant. So like, enjoy the next six months, plan your trip now, and then we'll have to go through this all over again, and who knows for how long and how many years. So Davin HaMelech lived through this. Spanish flu was seven years. I remember when, when this pandemic first began and I read that Spanish flu was seven years, I laughed, I think out loud, and said, but it's 2021, what do we need, seven hours? Maybe seven days, seven days, we'll figure this out. Maybe at most till they can invent seven months. But now it's not so funny anymore. The Spanish flu is seven years. In any case, David Amalek's reaction to what was happening was not just simply to get lost in the data and the debate about the policies, because unfortunately and tragically, that's what's consuming our conversations. And what's not part of most conversations, certainly not at a national level, is the religious component of it. What are messages? What are lessons we can learn? And, and I'm not a believer in correlating when bad things happen. It's because this is what we do wrong. I don't believe in that. Not only do I not believe in that, and not only do I not believe it's true, I believe you are infringing on Hashem's territory. Last week we read about the people who tried to build a tower up to the heavens. They wanted to compete with Hashem in His space, in Shemayim. Well, when you try to decide why things happen in this world, why bad things happen to good people, you're playing God. God is the only one who knows that. There are incredibly extraordinary, wonderful people who suffer really, really terribly. And to suggest that any of us mere finite mortal human beings know why that is, is not only insulting to the people, but I think it's insulting and it's an affront to Hashem. So I'm not suggesting we try to directly correlate. What I am suggesting is that we convene to say, but what are we going to learn from it? What are we going to change because of it? What are we going to do about it? How will we be different because of it? How will we be different because of it? So David HaMalach said, 100 pieces of homework called Mea Brachas B'chol Yom. 100 times a day make a bracha. So before David HaMalach, there weren't these 100 brachas a day or there wasn't an obligation or responsibility to count these 100 brachas a day. By the way, there is an app. My friend Jimmy Saka sent me after last week's at Munashir a link. There is an app online to count your 100 brachas a day already. So Max Spector, who, uh, please God, we should dance at his wedding. You don't need the paper clips and the index cards. There is a, uh, an app online. So 100 brachas every, every single day, 100 check-ins every single day, 100 times that we are busy with the Gemara and the Navi and the Chumash, that we're busy with buying things and accumulating things and living and making a living, a hundred times during the day we interrupt to stop and say, we need an anchor, we need to be rooted, we need to be mindful, we need to remember that we're not here alone, we're not navigating this world on our own, we're not responsible for it on our own, but we defer, we turn to, we surrender and we submit to Hashem. That brings us up to Dalet. Says Ravolba, hundred brachas a day is not easy. Now, it's easier than it sounds because again, 19, 19, and 19. If you dive in Shacharis, Mincha, and Marav every day, you are well on your way. 56 brachas right there. So you're more than halfway there just by davening. And uh, a couple cups of coffee, a couple 
visits to the place of the coffee. He sends you, you make enough brachas during the day. A hundred brachas you read. Kishorotzen lahagir osam bizbonenos, v'lav kamucha savelda. Achafilum omrim eser brachas bizbonenos, ein l'sha'er kama bracha mamshich adam al atzmo, v'yala olam ayadon. Hariham evarech, yizborech. This comes from Ali Shur Chelek Beis. So Revolba says, a hundred brachas is daunting. A hundred brachas is intimidating. A hundred brachas may not even seem really uh, realistic. So I'll tell you what, 10 brachas a day. 10. 10 asher yatzer, shahakol, a benching, and alamechia, a bori nefashos. Choose 10 brachas a day. South Florida in the summer, you could throw a few in for lightning and for thunder every single day, multiple times a day. You make your meya brachas. Choose 10 times during the day that, you know what? My first cup of coffee in the morning. Let's all collectively, our living with Amuna Chabura here, let's all take upon ourselves that our first cup of coffee in the morning, first cup of coffee in the morning, which I've not had yet, for the record. <laughs> I was on the 6 a.m. flight, and I can never, ever accept coffee on the airplane. You could Google it yourself when you find out where that water is coming from. And the article that I read, the proof that they had was, when you see the flight attendants, and they're the ones on the plane who have access to all the coffee of the plane, and they always walk on the plane with their Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts, you'll never see them drink a cup of coffee on the plane, and neither should you. Don't drink a cup of coffee on the plane. So I have not yet had my cup. But that first cup of coffee, I don't know what Nathan says. Nathan brings... never gets cleaned out. Yeah, there's, there's no... Don't, don't touch that coffee. Yeah, we've got an Asia's pilot here. So Andrea says, don't, don't, touch the, don't touch the coffee on the plane. So I haven't had mine yet. But maybe we could take upon ourselves. I know not everybody drinks coffee. God bless you if you make it through the day. Unbelievable. Um, but the first, those who do, the first cup of coffee. And if you don't drink coffee, your first cup of water, orange juice, grapefruit juice, whatever you, uh, whatever, protein shake, whatever does it for you when you start your day. Your first drink of the day, let's all accept upon ourselves that that shahakol, we are going to be mindful. Now, by the way, you don't have to put it in Google or Calendar or Outlook. We're not talking about a 15-minute or a 10-minute or a one-minute commitment. We're talking about three seconds. How much of a commitment are we talking about? The hardest part is just remembering to do it. That's going to be the hardest part. We should make up mugs that have a reminder so that the first cup of coffee in the morning will be a mug that has a reminder, don't forget to concentrate for the shahaka on this cup of coffee. That would remind me to make up those mugs with the Behind the Beamer and PRS logos on them. Anyone would like to sponsor those mugs? The sponsorship's available. We'll put your logo on it too. So let's accept upon ourselves, forget a hundred brachas a day. We have to make the hundred brachas. But let's just accept upon ourselves that first bracha, the first shahakal we're going to make. Shahakal that everything, it's all from you, Hashem. Not only what we're enjoying, the ambiance of it, as we spoke about last year, the coffee bean grew in a field and somebody harvested it and someone packaged it and somebody shipped it and somebody ground it and somebody made it into whatever snobbery that you like it, the Nespresso or the, or the Keurig or the Starbucks V, I think it's called, or whatever form that you take it. So, but that shahakal, that shahakal goes on all of that. All those people and all that effort and all of that miracle of a, of a being there and the clearly emotional relationship we have with it. So we can't do 100 brachas a day, maybe not even 10 brachas a day. Let's one bracha a day really be present. Baruch, brecha, everything flows from you. Ata you, Hashem. Hashem is Hayahova Viyah. He was, he is, and he will be. Elokeinu, not just the God of the universe, but Elokeinu, my God. Hashem, you're in my life. I feel your presence. I woke up this morning, I feel your love. 
Elokeinu, Melech, you are the king ha'olam of the whole world, ha'olam and ha'elam, that which is hidden, you are the king of the world I see and the world which is hidden underneath that world, Shahakol, that everything, yeah, it came to be, bidvaro with your word, everything in the world is because you will it, it all exists only because you will it. So to actually concentrate, think about it, and be mindful for that is a moment of time. And a person who blesses God and who coronates God and recognizes God, you're the king of kings. Uh, the fact that I didn't spill this cup on myself, the fact that it worked out and I made the cup and the machine didn't break down, the fact that it has that impact on me, everything about this incredible cup of coffee, when I think about it, you are the, I'm coronating you. God, you are the king of kings. So now what I've done when I make that bracha, that first shahakal in the morning, I've turned the mundane cup of coffee in whatever state of my eyelids being open or closed, whatever state of dress I'm in or yet not having gotten dressed that day, whatever where I am, whatever that first cup of coffee. But I've turned that cup of coffee from a secular, profane, mundane cup of coffee into kadshe shamayim. It's like a holy carbon. I'm in the base on Mikdash with a sacrifice. I took a cup of coffee and I made it the holiest thing there is because I just chose to be mindful in the moment. I drank it with intention. I was present. And it's with that contemplativeness, it's with that thoughtfulness, it's with that presence that I'm sipping that cup of coffee. So the cup of coffee, first of all, I'm not mindlessly drinking it while I'm flipping through the paper or taking in the news or having a conversation oblivious to the blessing of the cup of coffee. I'm present for the blessing of it. I'm, I'm not consumed by it because there are other things that we have to do during the day, but I also am aware of the bracha of the gift of it. And I've transformed it from a base animal human experience into a godly, holy, and spiritual experience. When you drink the cup of coffee, you're not just drinking coffee. You know what you are imbibing? You're drinking a piece of God. You're bringing a piece of God. We spoke about this earlier in Elul when we did our 45-minute class on the Jewish uh, approach to eating, the hashkafa of eating food, and many makoros that we saw there, many, many beautiful insights and sources. But they talked about, we, we studied Ravitcha Meyer, has a whole uh, chapter in that Sefer Be'am Dorachacha on eating. And he says, you know, we know that human beings need to eat to live. You shouldn't live to eat. We need to eat in order to live. People who have, don't eat have an eating disorder. That's considered a disorder. It's dysfunctional. It's unhealthy. We sabotage our own health. We need to eat in order to be able to, in order to be able to live. Which means that within food is the life source. Within food is that which gives us life. Without it, we would die. With it, we live. So in it is, is life. In it is life. Which means that when we eat it, or we eat the proper food, in the proper time, in the proper quantities, then we are engaging Hashem. It's where Hashem can be found. Hashem is the source of all life. And if food is what gives us life, then Hashem is expressing or manifesting Himself in food. He's manifesting Himself in that food. So when we pause and we make that bracha, mindfully, again, we're talking millisecond, maybe less than a second, to make a shahakal. Okay, three seconds if you're really having kavana. You're making contact with the divine. You're turning it from a cup of coffee into a holy sacrifice, a holy object. We are both with our intention, with our mind, but also we're also with our senses. That cup of coffee, I know I'm very much romanticizing a cup of coffee right now, which tells you how badly I need a cup of coffee. But also, but also because it's true about that cup of coffee and it's true about the foods that we eat. Again, 
in moderation, the right amounts, the right time, and the right so on and so forth. But we are engaging not only our, our mind, when we mindfully introduce it with a bracha, when we're present in what we're doing and eating, but bichushav, we are engaging our senses. It's a sensory experience. A good cup of coffee has an aroma. You're taking in that aroma. It's worth a bracha just on the aroma of a good cup of coffee. And it has a taste. Your taste buds are engaged. And it's a hot cup of coffee, so there's, it's warming you up your kishkas. It's making you feel comfortable. It's a comfort food. If you're having iced coffee, you're drinking a milkshake. You're not really having a cup of coffee. I'm talking about a proper cup of coffee, which is a hot cup of coffee. I get insulted every time. What are they called? Barrister? What are they called? Barista? The barista asked me when I say, I'll take a... First of all, I refuse to use those other names. I say, I'll take a medium coffee, please. She says, hot or cold? He says, hot or cold? I said, I said coffee. It's hot. Stam coffee's hot. A nice coffee is a milkshake. So anyway, I had a cup of coffee. So it's not only engaging your mind, and it's a mindful experience, but your senses, your sense of smell, and your sense of taste, and your sense of touch. You're holding that hot cup. You're not holding it too hot. It will burn you, but you want to feel a little bit of the warmth to come through. There's a whole experience. And in that experience is the Rebona Shalom. It's contact with the divine. It is a holy experience. So if you start your day by finding Hashem in the cup of coffee, you know what's going to happen? You're going to find Him everywhere in that day. He'll even be in the carpool line. He's going to be at the red light. He's going to be at work in the gym, at the supermarket. He's going to be in those conversations, in those relationships. He's going to guide and navigate the difficult dilemmas and decisions that need to be made. You're going to find Hashem everywhere if you find him when you begin your day. The great testimony that Hashem gave of Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest endorsement of all time. Hashem says about Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem says about Moshe that in all of my house, Ne'eman, he's Ne'eman. This is the source that we wish a chasan and they should build a bias Ne'eman. Doesn't use that expression anywhere in Tanakh. Where do we get that expression? To build a bias Ne'eman. We should be the progeny, we should be the offspring, the spiritual offspring of Moshe Rabbeinu, who was Bechol Beisi Ne'eman. He was trustworthy in all of Hashem's house. What does that mean? Like he didn't mess with the kashras, he didn't steal the silverware, he didn't steal the Wi-Fi connection code. What does that mean that Moshe Rabbeinu was trustworthy Bechol Beisi? So the word Ne'eman, the Mepharshim explained, means he was reliable. He came through. He wasn't, uh, you know, uh, dependent on the mood he was in. Bechol Beisi Ne'eman meant he was reliable. You could trust him. You can lean on him. Umavar HaRashbam, Kavua Umiyusad Kol Shabayon. The Rashbam is Rab Shmuel ben Meir. Shmuel ben Meir is the grandson of Rashi. The Rashbam is the grandson of Rashi. So the Rashbam, in his commentary on Torah, Bechol Beisi Ne'eman, writes, Kavua Umiyusad Kol Shabayon. You know what makes Moshe Rabbeinu Ne'eman? He lives with order and with purpose. Every hour of the day is established is You know, to be trustworthy and reliable is that something is built to code. It's built with order. It's built in a way that will last. It's trustworthy. Our generation tragically appreciates that right now. I don't know about you, but I don't know that we get into tall buildings the, the way that we used to ever again after Surfside. You get into that elevator, you get into that tall building, and you're putting a lot of faith into the engineers and the architects and the inspectors and the hope that everything is ne'eman. I hope that this elevator, I hope this building, I hope that it's all ne'eman. 
I just sent some of you into a panic. I'm sorry. Just going to never think about that. Never mind. Enjoy the elevators and tall buildings. And I didn't say that. So the Rashbam says, what does it mean that Moshe Rabbeinu is bechol beisin ne'eman? That just like the parts of the house are reliable, the foundation is strong, it's reliable, it's dependable, it's to code. So too, that was Moshe Rabbeinu. If you have a peg which is firmly rooted, then it's not going to fall down. So we should be founded. The anchor that holds us in place should be our relationship with Hashem. So the world around us is distracting. The world around us is anxiety-ridden. The world around us is confusing. The world around us is high-pressured. And it's difficult to navigate our way through this world. The wind is blowing us in so many different directions. How do you steer the ship when the wind is trying to knock us off course in so many different ways? The values that are coming through, through pop culture and through what was supposedly once high culture, regular culture, the definitions that we once took for granted about this world and the people in it and the relationships that we have, the world is upside down. How do we navigate it? We need an anchor. We need an anchor. We need something that no matter what we're encountering or engaging, no matter what we watched or read, no matter what conversation we had, that every day we come back to it and it anchors us. It anchors us. It holds us steady. Moshe was that anchor. He was Ne'eman. And that is the mission of Amuna and Bitachon. The hundred brachas we say a day, the davening that we do a day, the conversations that we have with God every day, not in the sitter, not the American greetings card, but what we scribble, what we underline, what we fill in, in between we spoke about last week. Those are the anchor. Whatever's happening in our world, we come back and that anchors us and it reminds us, I don't have to panic. I'm not in charge, I'm not in control. I just do the best I can and after that, it's up to him. After that, it's up to him. If he meant me to make this flight, if he meant me to make this business deal, if he meant me to get this thing, then I would have. Last night I was at a wedding in Lakewood and a, a Hasid Shayid came over to introduce himself to me. Very interesting guy. guy. He's a sofa in Lakewood. So I asked him, he's been, and he's been living there for 20 years, he's been doing it for 20 years. A wonderful person. And um, I said, you have a lot of competition. I don't know if you know what's going on in Lakewood today, but it's exploded. It's unbelievable what's going on. So he said, yeah, I created the competition. I said, what does that mean? So he said that, you know, there were people coming out of the years of learning, years of kolol. Not everybody could be a rebbe. Not everybody was cut out for this. And he saw the growing need for safras. He didn't feel he was capable of it. So he hired someone, Sofrim from Brooklyn, who came to Lakewood to train a whole cadre of Sofrim. So he said, I trained my competition. I trained the people who would compete with me. So I told him, I said, you know, that's, that's unbelievable. That's an amazing fulfillment of the insight of the Chazanisha that we learned together. When I say we... I don't know how many of you were here because this goes back several years ago, early on in the Amuna Shir. So we learned that the Chazanish has a Sefer Amuna Bitachon, which is named based on one essay in it. I think it's four or five essays, which are not, most of them are not about Amuna Bitachon, but the main, the central essay is about Amuna Bitachon. So the Sefer is known that way. It's now been translated into English. You can get the English of it. It's really worthwhile to study. And the Chazanish in there says the following. He says, you know, if you really have Amunah and Bitachon, not only do you never feel threatened by competition, you're willing to help the competition because you realize that the source of your Parnasa is Hashem, and He has enough to go around. There's enough for everybody. He can make you a millionaire, you a millionaire, and you a millionaire, and you a billionaire, and you a millionaire, you a billionaire. There's enough. So he, he writes, he describes, he says, let's say you have a certain business and a competitor moves across the street. Now in Halacha, we have something called Hasagas Gvul. Halacha has guidelines and guidance and parameters, what's considered fair competition, what's unfair competition, both in terms of where you set up shop and in terms of the marketing that you do and the pricing structure that you offer. 
there are halachas that guide what is fair competition. But let's assume it fulfills the, the criteria for fair competition. So someone opens up shop, they hang their shingle across the street, the exact same business, the same store that you have. You can either try to drive them in the ground, you tell the distributors, if you sell to him also, then I'm not buying to you anymore, and I'm gonna drop my prices at the very beginning so he never gets any traction or gets started. You can have a ruthless competitiveness to be able to eliminate that competition because you're threatened by him. Chazanish says, if you do that, I don't care how much you shuckle in shul. I don't care how many Tehillim you say, Pitamaktoros from a cloth, how many red strings are tied around your whole family and the tree in front of your house. I don't care about any of that. If you are ruthlessly competitive to drive a fellow Jew out of business, then you have no amunah bitachon. You could say, Baruch Hashem, Amir Tashem, Hashem, as much as you want. You don't have any real faith. Because if you had real faith, you'd go across the street and you'd say, how can I help you? Do you need the number of the distributor? You need the number of my graphic designer? You need the number of how I market? Because I want you to succeed, I can succeed, we can both succeed. I wrote an article a couple of years ago in, in Brooklyn. There was a fish store, a kosher fish store, that I think had a fire burned to the ground. And a competitor around the corner said, come, open up shop in my shop. We'll both run fish store within a fish store. We'll compete in the same store until your shop is back up and running again. He won an award by a councilman in, uh, in Brooklyn for doing that. And I wrote an article, I quoted this Chazanish, and I said, it's unbelievable. That is exactly the fulfillment of this. You can open your store within my store, because I'm not only not threatened by your store, I'm ready to help you with your store, because he has enough for all of us. It's really, if, if you're competing with me in a way that I no longer make what I used to make, it's not because you competed with me. It's because he determined I wasn't supposed to make what I used to make. If he wanted me to make that and more, I would have. So the real test, the real metric, the real barometer of our amuna, where what you can call the amuna rubber meets the road, is in real life. Amuna, who doesn't have amuna in the shul? Plenty of people. But who doesn't have amuna in the shul? In the shul, the sitter's open, you're davening, you're in front of the Aram Kodesh, you're hearing phenomenal drushas, hopefully, from Rabbi Moskowitz and others. So you, you have amuna in the shul. But it's easy to shuckle and daven and the towels over your head and the lipstick marks all over our sidurim. You kiss the sitter at every point. Half of our sidurim after Aleno on Shabbos morning have a lipstick mark right, right in the sitter. So in the shul, in the shul, it's easy to do all that. But what happens when you leave the shul? What happens when the things aren't working out the way you want? Do we get distracted and confused and caught up in that thought that it's really all about us and other people and they could impact my life even if Hashem doesn't want? Or do we have that anchor, that's how we got into this, that anchor that holds us steady, that anchor that brings us back to neutral, to where we need to be, that reminds us who's in charge and who's in control and what it's really all about. So I said to the sofa last night, I said to him, you trained your competition, that, that's the chazanish. That's you have such a munam bitachon. What an honor to meet you, give me a bracha. Give me a bracha. We spoke yesterday, Birchos Tedyot, Atiyakala. Hashem said, Hey, bracha. I gave Avram the ability to, he made every Jew a Rebbe. Every Jew is a Rebbe. Every one of us were empowered by Hashem. Hashem used to have the exclusive rights on giving brachas. Then he gave it to Avram, Hey, bracha. And through Avram, he gave it to every one of us. We can all give brachas. I said, Give me a bracha. That's, that's an incredible story. What a great story. What a great story. What he said to me was, the reason he came over, since you asked, the reason he came over, he said, It's nice to meet you. You and I share a same Rebbe. I said, okay, who's, who's that? He's a chassid in Lakewood. So he said, Rabbi Moshe Weinberger. He said, you know, all day I sit and I write safras, but I have shiurim playing in the background. And I discovered, I, I stumbled on Rabbi Moshe Weinberger and I listened to shiurim all day. He's unbelievable. And Baruch Hashem, he will be coming here in January. Very excited that we're going to be having him for another incredible evening of music and inspiration and Torah. We're looking forward to that. So that is a fulfillment. So all throughout the day, 
whether it's what we perceive as competition or people who hurt us or don't fall in line the way we want or the traffic or the missed flight or the business deal that fell through, we have what we're meant to have. And if we don't have it, it wasn't meant for us. And what we need to do in order to remember that is have a very strong and powerful anchor that while the wind is blowing us around all through the day, we come back to the anchor. The anchor could be Tehillim, the anchor could be our davening, the anchor could be the Amuna learning group or the many Amuna resources that are out there. There are beautiful, um, what's that English book? Uh, I don't think it's called, is it called Living with Amuna? It's up to like volume three or four. You could, it has an entry for every day. Read it every day. You need an anchor that comes back and that reminds us. We need to tie not a red ribbon, not a red string around our wrist. We need to tie a string around our finger to remember, oh yeah, there's a Hashem. By the way, that, that's what David HaMelech had in mind. It's just when you forget it, so you're in the middle of a fight with someone and you think they're the one who hurt you or they're the one who stole the business from you, and then you have to make a shahakol on your water or diet peach snapple or your coffee, and you make that baracha shahakol, and you have, oh, that's, you know what? Never mind, I forgot, he's in charge. I could still be disappointed in the way you behaved. I could still be upset that I think that you wronged me, but in terms of my parnasa, it comes from him. Never mind, <laughs> forget it, forget it. That hundred brachas a day are the hundred reminders, the hundred strings around our finger that remind us. So says Ravoba, we'll end with this today. Time flies when you're having a muna. So a person who habituates themselves even a little bit, not a hundred times a day, not even ten times a day, that opening bracha. I'm testing you all next week. We're coming back 8.45 next week and I'm going to ask you how you did on the opening bracha. What's next week? No, next week we're on. Next week we're back on 8.45. So I'm testing you all. How did you do on that opening bracha of the day? Whatever your drink of choice, I may judge you if I learn some of your drinks of choice, but whatever your drink of choice, that opening bracha, that shahakol, just intense mindfulness for that opening bracha. I suspect if you experience that opening bracha, you're likely to want to make more brachas during the day like it. So just the opening bracha of the day, the opening pitch of the day, will set our day on the right path. So says Ravoba, if we can habituate ourselves a little bit, to not just dismiss or throw out a bracha from our mouth, we're trying to find Hashem, we're trying to taste Hashem, we're trying to imbibe Hashem, we're trying to make contact with the Divine. So when, the, when, when there's a, a little wind on our cheek, that's Hashem, that's Hashem petting the side of our cheek. And when we take in a beautiful, a beautiful smell, that's Hashem who has distributed that beautiful fragrance in the world. And when we hear the rustling of the trees, that's Hashem who's playing His playlist for us. And when we encounter the natural world, we'll find Hashem in everything, in every part of our life and our world, if we just get our day started that right way. With the brachas that we make, it transforms the act of eating from food into being kadshe Hashem. These are holy, holy, sacred, consecrated things. It's not a mundane or a profane act. It is a very holy, holy act. So enjoy your cup of coffee. After the Living with the Moon, everyone's invited. Stay, socialize, meet. There are several new people who've just moved in. I'm going to embarrass you. If you just moved in over the last year, raise your hand right now. Good. If you did not raise your hand right now, don't leave. Go over to someone who did raise their hand right now. Introduce yourself and welcome them. In fact, we're studying the Sefer of Revolba. Revolba's grandson just moved to our community. It's Evolbi, and his wife Esti Evolbi is doing a uh, event on Sunday night. You can sign up for it. Talia, raise your hand. Our new director of member engagement, and we're doing an amazing event. If you'd like to sign up and register, find out more. You could speak to her right after the shear, which is basically now. And uh, they're going to be raffles. She's doing a chopped competition. She has uh, cooking 
influencer cooking with tantrums. Uh, she is a well-known chef. And so that's on Sunday night. Sign up for that. Eight o'clock Sunday night. But first tomorrow, tonight, tonight, we're going behind the bima tonight with Avram Fried, the great singer Avram Fried. You don't want to miss behind the bima tonight at nine o'clock. So until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.